All right. I don't think that the meditation I'm going to share right now is anywhere near as impactful as our quiet time. Because our quiet time gives us an opportunity to experience God's spirit directly. And if the spirit is doing something right now, it's more indirect. And it's mediated through scripture and and thoughts about the scripture. And we all need to be fed, you know, right from that fountain of living water, uh, each one for ourselves. But I'm going to do this anyway. Um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and I'm starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, all right, uh, to give this some perspective, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth, was, who was barren and too old to have children, and she's now pregnant with John the Baptist. Uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I know this is a strange place to stop reading because we're not even to the heart of the plot yet. Uh, But these few verses are a small piece of a story surrounding Jesus' birth. Many big things are going to happen uh, in this long chapter. It's a very long chapter. Uh, So it's easy for us to skim over parts like this in order to get to the action. But I think it may do us some good to stop here and to meditate on this, just what we have so far. There is something a little odd about Mary's reaction when the angel comes and says, "Uh, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I'll show you why this is odd. Earlier, the same angel appeared to the priest Zechariah in the temple. And before the angel even said anything, we're told Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Later on, an angel is going to speak shepherds who are watching their sheep in the fields by night. And immediately the shepherds were filled with great fear. Typically, in the scripture, angels frighten people. You know, it's like, I don't know, bumping into an extraterrestrial or something. Um, uh, Angels not being of this world when they appear. People are scared. Now, here in our verses, an angel appears to Mary, and she also reacts but she's not reacting to the angel. She's reacting to what the angel says, and that's a little odd. Um, You would expect this young woman, maybe, we don't know, but maybe as young as 14, because even though she's engaged to Joseph, uh, he hasn't taken her as his wife just yet, 
And uh, women married very young back in those days. So uh, here's this young woman, and you expect her to be frightened by an angel, uh, as, as everyone else has been. And, she, and it's like, um, it wasn't the angel's presence, but his opening line that troubled her. In fact, Luke says she was greatly troubled. The shepherds were greatly afraid. She's greatly troubled at the saying. And she began wrestling with what sort of a greeting this was. Well, what kind of a greeting is this? Centuries prior to this, there was someone who had a similar experience. And to me, it's interesting in its similarity because this person doesn't seem to be frightened by the angel. And, and the angel says something similar to him. Uh, the person is Gideon, and the angel came and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of God. With Mary, it was, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So, you know, there's a way of addressing the person, and then the promise of the Lord is with you, which means things can happen. If God's with you, big things can happen. However, if you know Gideon, he was anything but a mighty man of valor. He was very cowardly. Uh, even after he had these promises and confirmations from God, he still approached his tasks with, with a lot of fear. In fact, the night before the big victory over this oppressive army that had conquered Israel, uh, the night before the big victory, God said to Gideon, now, if you're still afraid... Sneak down to the enemy's camp and you'll hear something that will encourage you. So God recognizes that he's chosen someone uh, who's not known for his valor. Uh, valor is what he becomes, but, but not when it, what he is when God finds him. Anyway, Mary did not respond with, with words. Gideon responded with words. He said, well, if the Lord is with us, then uh, why has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles that he's done in the past? No miracles now. But Mary doesn't respond with words. She responds with concern and thought. She's troubled, not because she knew what was coming, but because she had no idea where this was going. What kind of a greeting? What are you getting ready to talk me into? Uh, when you answer your phone and the person on the other end says, Hi, this is Ellen from the insurance company, and I'm just calling. You know, you wonder, okay, where is this going? But you have a pretty good idea. Uh, someone's trying to sell me something, and uh, I'm not interested. What, is, what happens when it's God? The Lord is with you. Uh, I think most of us would wonder, why me? Um, what do you mean, oh, favored one? Um, I haven't done anything to distinguish myself. You know, how'd you get my address anyway? You know, how'd you know where to find me? <clears throat> know to find me. <clears throat> As we get to know Mary, we will discover that this trait is in her, this tendency to stop and to reflect to think deep thoughts, uh, to, to, to take 
these words in. She was a deep thinker, and she held things close to her heart. Uh, After the shepherds found their way to her and Joseph and the baby, and then they left, and they're telling everyone about the angels and everything, Um, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's hanging on to them. She's putting them in a secret vault inside. And she pulls them out and she looks at them and, and she wonders. And, and she lets her thoughts you know, go. She, she reflects on things. Um, and then later, after Jesus was born, he was only eight days old. And Joseph and Mary took him to the temple in order to be presented to the Lord according to the commandments. And... Um, And uh, the old man Simeon was there, and he predicted something over Jesus. And we're told that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. When Jesus was 12 years old and taken to the temple, probably for his bar mitzvah, um, his parents left without him. Joe thought he was Mary. Mary thought he was with Joe. He wasn't with either one of them, and they had to go all the way back to Jerusalem, say, Jesus, how dare you do this to us? And Jesus told his mother, well, wouldn't you know I would be about my father's business? Uh, And I'm sure she was tempted to say, your father's a carpenter. Uh, However, she didn't. She and Joseph did not understand what he said to her, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. You know, mothers are frequently the family historian. They're the ones who put the photograph albums together. Uh, They cherish special memories and they tell stories, you know, stories that that their sons would rather their mom not tell their girlfriend. But, uh, you know, that's mom. Uh, Now, of course, Mary is now on a journey of discovery. And as she as she learns new things, she, she looks for a place to, to put that or, or how it goes and associates with, associates with what she already knows. Because along the way, she's contemplating the meaning of things. Mary, the deep thinker. Now, at the outset, Mary's story was not a wonderful experience. Not right at first. It wasn't like unwrapping uh, a Christmas gift to find it's exactly what you wanted. It was disturbing and unsettling. You know, why does an angel have to come and make this announcement to me? And God's will for us sometimes affects us this way. I don't know about you, but there are certain occupations or challenges that I never want to hear God put on me. Uh, I'm not, I, I was bumping into this guy in different conferences, and this was a long time ago, but traveling around the United States thinking attending conferences was really important when all I was doing that was important was getting together with friends, with, with my peer group. But... I kept bumping into this guy who worked for Children's Hope Chest, and he said, Chuck, 
you've got to come to Russia. You've got to visit orphanages with me. And I, I thought that God had put me on his heart, but I kept putting him off uh, because I don't know, I still thought of Russia as hammer and sickle and the big bear to the north. And I, I had no interest in, in visiting that cold, merciless country. Um, but eventually, it occurred to me that it might be God wanting me to do this. And, you know, and my response was, Lord, you know, I asked you never to do this to me. You know, to, to send me places I don't want to go and do things I don't want to do. Of course, when I finally did go, it was life-changing. Um, and I went back again and again. I could not help myself. So, um, but, but sometimes, uh, whether we're thrown into God's will or we choose to step into it, it's not pleasant at first, when it first hits us. You want me to do what? Our predictable routines are disrupted. And we can feel a loss of equilibrium. You know, the, the, the trouble is something that goes on inside. Uh, my mind is troubled. My heart is troubled. And, uh, and for Mary, the future that she had planned suddenly dissolves in the face of this encounter. Instead of... Um, Knowing where I'll be tomorrow, there's uncertainty about that. Well, if, you know, if God can pull this on me, what's he going to pull next? Do you ever wonder if God has a purpose for your life? I mean, we're told that God has a plan for our life, a wonderful plan. But do you ever wonder, is, is he actually in control of everything or or do things just happen randomly? I mean, does your life ever bring you to that place where you're wondering, is there a purpose for all of this? Is there a purpose for me that's bigger than this life that I'm living as I perceive it? And, and even if you cruise along for a while and, and everything's going well and working out, if there's a sudden and unexpected deviation, if there's a hardship or loss, that seems to have no rational place in your imagined world, do you question whether God has a purpose for you? When something like that happens, there are a lot of people who at that point give up on God. They may still go to church. They may still pray before their meals. They may give to charities. But, but they do it religiously, and not necessarily from their heart, as though what they're doing has real meaning and value and significance. They don't believe any longer that their lives serve a spiritual purpose, that God is working out in his own good time. And they don't trust God for every detail of their life. Because I trusted you, Lord, and then you let my child get sick and die. You let my spouse divorce me. You let you know, this, this terrible thing happen. So I don't, you know, my trust in you has been broken. If we are ever tempted to think that faith and trust are easy, 
All we have to do is take any character in the Bible and follow their life thoroughly. And we'll see that even those on whom God poured a great deal of his love, uh, their, their safety and, and certainty in life were not guaranteed. Even someone like Job, who God could brag on, you know, it, it was, his life, as much as it pleased God, did not guarantee he wouldn't have hardship. I'm convinced that God does have his own vision for each one of us, each one of us sitting here. I do believe that God is working out his purpose in your life. And we can be ignorant of that or we can know that. And if we just know that, we can trust that regardless of what happens, all things eventually, whether in this life or the next, work out for good. But we don't have to understand everything that happens. We do have to trust in everything that happens. He can work through anything that enters our story. God lets nothing go to waste. God is certainly not going to allow anything that you suffer go to waste. Okay, I'm way out of sync with Christmas because this is Advent, you know, Joy Sunday, and um, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> so, but it's not a feeling. Um, the angel immediately reassures Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's true from now on, you're not going to have a normal life, but you have been graced by God. That's the meaning of the word favor. And it's used twice. He says, you're the favored one. You're the graced one. Um, you've found grace in the eyes of God. And, uh, and also, he has shown you grace. And he's telling her, God's grace will carry you through everything that's going to come at you. Do you remember the annoyance that Paul referred to as the thorn in his flesh? He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Uh, I was hoping you'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I was busy with, with you know, other universes or, or galaxies. Whatever. I, I'll work this out for you now. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Um, I, I don't want to hear him say, you know, my grace will see you through this. My grace will enable you to bear the pain without losing faith or losing hope. Personally, I don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe that God's grace is sufficient for me. I want to believe that if things get really, really bad, it's okay for me to give up. It's okay for me to throw in the towel. Say, I'm done. This, is, this has become too painful, too difficult, too miserable. I'm done. And I am a quitter, I mean, just so that you know. Um, so, yeah. So I, I don't want this to be true. I don't want it to be true 
What Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 about no temptation has taken you except what's common to everyone and that God has made sure uh, to be there with you so that uh, he'll give you a way to escape so you may endure it. Those things don't go together in my mind. Escape, endure. Right? Escape is, I don't have to endure it. I found a way of escape. I'm out of here. But it's, no, it's a, some kind of escape to God and his grace that enables us to endure. And I don't think anyone can get away from this. At this point in my life, I know better than to doubt God's grace because I've witnessed it too many times in my own circumstances. Oh, God, I know you've come through for me in the past, but now this time, you know, this is a little bit more than it's ever been before. And then afterward, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, why am I so slow? Do not be afraid, Mary. On the other hand, be terrified. Your destiny has arrived at your front door, and it's big. It will seem an impossibility to carry it. But God will support you. God will carry you through all of it. Facing our destiny, that, that's a big deal. I mean, if I talk about purpose for your life, I can talk about destiny also. And, and, and your destiny that God has for you is much bigger than the life you dreamed for yourself. I was talking to a young woman this last week who was somewhat discouraged. And, um, oh gosh, I don't want to give any of the details, but I'll just say that there was something that she was hanging on to that, that she wanted to have happen because she thought that this is what was supposed to happen at this time in her life. And uh, I said, you know, you don't need for this to happen. In fact, if what you're thinking were to, to uh, occur, you wouldn't be able to be on the same track that you are right now. This would carry you away from that. And she she said, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I guess I felt that this is just the way life is supposed to go. You, growing up, attend school, you go to college, you get a degree, you get into a career, you find someone that you fall in love with, you get married, you have children. And uh, I, I just thought that I was coming behind at what should come next. But if that doesn't have to happen, and if it would take me away from doing something that I love, then maybe that isn't for me. And, and her thoughts about her destiny took a turn at that moment, and she saw it as a, as a release, as a freedom. I don't believe that God's will for us is miserable. I don't think that God is saying, I'm going to make this as, as horrible for you as I can. 
I'm going to ask you to do the thing you, you least want to do. My dad used to say, look, if God calls you to the mission field and, and it involves jungles and, and uh, animals, he says, God's going to give you a love for insects. And um, you'll, you'll be fascinated by them. He said this to a group of missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And after his speech, these two women ran to their hut and they came back and they had these poster boards with all these insects on the poster boards and their scientific names. And they said, it's exactly like you said. We love insects. Something else occurred while he was there, and I should not tell you. Um, but it was an idiom of that time. We don't use it so much anymore. But Dad, uh, Dad was telling the missionaries that you know a prayer was answered, and he said, "God blessed me out of my gourd." In that context, where the only clothing some of the tribal people wore, the, that the men wore, was a gourd. The missionary started cracking up. My dad didn't get it until he thought for a moment. Anyway, uh, the, the destiny God calls us to, if we could see the whole thing, it's worth the suffering. We'd say, ouch, I'm going to sign up anyway. Because that's bigger than anything I could do on my own. And God will be gracious to you to us all the way through. This was the new condition of Mary's life, and he was going to carry her forward in his grace. I promise I'm not trying to throw cold water on our holiday spirit, though mine is drenched in ice cold water right now myself. I'm not trying to throw cold water on your holiday spirit, but the thing is, we do not know what Christmas is if we leave out the cross. Uh, Helmut Thielicke said the same wood that was made to make the manger was used to make the cross. In other words, the connection is, is that great. And the cross cuts through everything. And I use the word cuts on pur purpose uh, because it, it does make these incisions in our lives that are painful. When Jesus was only eight days old and he was taken to the temple to be presented to God, um, they bumped into old Simeon who was going to the temple constantly because God said, you're not going to die until you've seen the Lord's Messiah. So um, he comes up to Mary and Joseph. He sees the baby. He takes the baby in his arms. Um, you know, there was a time when you could do that. Uh, I have to resist that temptation when I see other people's babies and remember, oh, I don't know them. They don't know me. They may, might not like me taking their baby from them. But uh, he takes their baby and he makes a prediction over the baby. And he tells Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. All this wonderful stuff about what Jesus is going to accomplish in his lifetime. Oh, and by the way, Mary, a sword is going to pierce through your own 
soul. What kind of pain pierces all the way down into the soul? Physical pain doesn't go that deep. Physical pain is felt in the tissue and joints and bones of our body and in our brain. It can discourage, it can bring us down, but it doesn't go to the soul. Emotional pain, the grief of watching a loved one suffer, the grief of loss, this goes to the soul. I'm sure you've heard the name Viktor Frankl and his famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. He discovered that people can survive pain and suffering if they can find a meaning for it, if they find a meaning for their own lives. Uh, he talks about people in, in Nazi prison camps who were not just suffering the present, but they were thinking about, when I get out of here, I'm going to finish that composition that I was working on, uh, that, that, um, that concert that I was developing. And that gave their life meaning. And that meaning carried them through the suffering. Those who reach search pain tell us that the symptom serves a function. For me, the symptom needs a painkiller. And then it never speaks to me. I never listen to it. I just want the symptom to go away. And sometimes if I know that the actual healing is going to take more than a pain reliever, I put off doing anything about the, the healing of the problem. I want the pain to stop. Jake Caldwell said, bodily suffering is the refusal of the body to be ignored and treated like a lifeless machine. And it is the refusal of the soul to be ignored and forgotten. Pain has a story to tell us and we can learn to listen to it. And we can learn to listen to it in the context of meaning. Uh, again, Caldwell says, if nothing else, illness could change us, make us wiser and deeper. We come back, if we come back, with a deepened experience of life. We will never be the same. And Thomas More in The Care of the Soul says, if we allow sickness to lead us into wonder about the very base of experience, then our spirituality is strengthened. Accepting that we are wounded, we enter life differently. Jacob wrestled with God and he lost, but he won. Because of wrestling with God, um, his name was changed, which means God gave him a new identity and a new destiny, changed his name to Israel from Jacob. And he walked away from that contest with God, a changed person, not only in name, but with a permanent limp, that he was wounded in that, and he had that wound for the rest of his life, but he entered life differently. And when he, when he came back to his family 
And they, they see him limping and they say, Jacob, what happened to you? He says, don't call me Jacob. My name is Israel. What did we do for our children to help them cope with some of their pains? We gave them a meaning for their pain. We told them, those are growing pains that you're experiencing, right? And, and giving them that meaning. Oh, okay, I'm getting taller, I'm growing up. Can, can you, you see how that helped them and, and why we ever came up with that strategy? Those are normal growing pains. The cross of Jesus is a mystery. It's a surgical instrument. It cuts in order to heal. It kills in order to bring life. And it tells us when we experience it that these are growing pains as we're growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, um, sometime in elementary school, I learned about Christmas in other countries. I learned about Christmas in Germany at a time when uh, children would leave their boots outside the door on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, they'd come and find a gift in it from St. Nick and St. Nicholas, and that sometimes it was an orange. And I thought, what a ripoff. <laughs> Look, you got an orange for Christmas. It's like, I would go Bart Simpson all over that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, that is, I'd, I'd rebel and react. An orange for Christmas. Before the United States commercialized Christmas, and yes, we made it the commercial event that it is each year, and we gave that gift of materialism to the whole world. Uh, before we commercialized Christmas, it was not a materialistic, it wasn't about materialistic gifts. Can we recover that simplicity in which it's not about the gifts? I can give myself to my grandkids. I can give myself to my children. I can give myself to my wife. That's a, the best gift I have to offer, and it can be the gift that keeps on giving, but, but it, it's not the materialistic gift. It's the, the inner spirit gift. It's the, the love gift. It's the devotion gift. It's the steady all the way gift. And so I'll never leave you or forsake you. If I tell you that all I want for Christmas this year is an orange, I'm saying that I want to spend my Christmas with Jesus. That I want to stand aside from all the nonsense that the advertisers tell us regarding what really shows love. And I just, I, I, I want it to be more of a spiritual time to me. Look, we're adults. 
And when a dad tells his kids, oh, I want a new toothbrush for Christmas. I want socks and underwear for Christmas. That, you know, it's, that's really what it's about. It's not about toys anymore, is it? I want an orange. And that will more than satisfy me because I'm going to slowly peel it and eat each section in the presence of Jesus, giving him thanks for whoever grew this orange, whoever picked it, whoever shipped it, whoever brought it to the supermarket, and how it finally got to me. And I'll give thanks for each person along the way and pray blessings on their life. And that's the kind of Christmas that seems to be meaningful to me. I want to approach the manger while at the same time staying near the cross. The one brings God to us. The other brings us to God. Would you stand with me, please? This is going to be a good week, folks. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.